0: Good morning, and uh, if you don't know me, Andrew Cattahy is my name. Um, this is one of the favorite uh, occasions of any year for me. Uh, Vision Sunday is an experience of real joy. and One of the best things about Vision Sunday each year is just what it feels like to come to church and not know people. Uh, so that's a really unusual thing for me. I normally know pretty much everyone who goes to the church where I'm at, and that every year I come along here at Five Dock, uh, if we're here, or at Ashford if we're there, and there's dozens of new people from Five Dock Uh, that have uh, joined in the the intervening year and so it's really nice to be able to say hi to you for the first time and so my name's Andrew. Uh, Great to be here with you, thank you for having me. Um, As Matt mentioned near the start of each year we step back and ask uh, something along the lines of what's a church for? Uh, Or perhaps an even more fundamental question, uh, what's a Christian for? And how is that going to shape us particularly this year? What, what is God doing in us and through us that can enlarge our vision and inspire our hearts and evoke our sacrifice and commitment and fill us with joy? And the answer to all of these uh, questions, it doesn't change from year to year. It, uh, you know It's the same faith, uh, actually, uh, it, different angles in on it. Uh, It's both gloriously simple and utterly profound, and it's summed up by Jesus in four words. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. It's interesting that uh, Jesus doesn't really define the kingdom of God. uh, Rather, he likens it. I read a story about an author who was once asked to sum up the message of her latest book in a sentence, and she said that if she could say it in a sentence she wouldn't have had to write the whole book. Uh, Some things just can't be reduced to sound bites, And the kingdom is like that a bit. It's not like any particular thing. It's so utterly and gloriously unique, and it takes the whole gospel narrative to really see it. Uh, But it's in Mark chapter 4 that we're introduced to some of the images and metaphors and parallels that Jesus uses uh, to liken the kingdom of God. And the final one, in many ways the finale is this parable of the mustard seed. And it tells us uh, two crucial things about the kingdom, uh, which also drive us forward as a church as we move into the year. And so we're going to learn firstly about the beauty of the kingdom, and second, about the basis of the kingdom, and then we're going to set ourselves at CCIW to again this year play our part in the kingdom. So first then, the beauty of the kingdom of God. Uh, the, the parable of the mustard, scene is sufficient, uh, mustard seed is sufficiently well known uh, in our culture that the idea of a, of a small, little, tiny mustard seed becoming a, a great big tree has passed into popular culture and use. Uh, it's homey and confirming, and if you get picked on at school, it gives you kind of some hope that one day you can beat that guy up too. But the reality is that it packs a much bigger biblical punch than that. And the reason is that what Jesus is doing here is drawing on something that we might not notice unless we know our Old Testament super well, but which was much more central in Jesus' time. You see, the the, the prophets spoke of what you might call a great world tree. It was another one of those images which are all the more powerful and evocative for not being precise and scientific. This idea of a world tree was one of a a number of similar word pictures, a, a great staircase, a, an enormous bridge, a, a point of connection or rather reconnection between heaven and earth. So, for example, we read in Ezekiel chapter 17 and verse 22 Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar, I'll set it out, I'll break off a tender one from the topmost of its young twigs. I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel I'll plant it in order that it may produce boughs and bear fruit and become a noble cedar. Under it every kind of bird will live. In the shade of its branches will nest winged creatures of every kind. All the trees of the field shall know that I'm the Lord. I bring low the high tree. I make high the low tree. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will accomplish it. Actually, Daniel chapter 4 says much the same thing. So so what's going on here? This symbol, whether whether the tree or or the symbol of the the staircase or, or the great high mountain, the big bridge, these symbols point to the solution to the great problem, the answer to the great question. They're the finale of the great story. You see, they all begin with with this former age, the, the, the knowledge that God originally dwelt with us on this earth, so that there was no breach between heaven and earth. Heaven was here, literally. It's what we see in the garden paradise. And where God is, There is no death or disease or brokenness or evil. There are no tears or laments or pain. Why? Because the presence of God is the only state in which all created things can flourish and thrive. His presence in glory and grace is the key to any kind of life. It's the soil in which everything needs to be planted to grow. Without it, all we can be is kind of acorns full of potential to become mighty oak but instead simply scattered on the ground with it we become all that we can be but we humans wanted control, we always want control, the story goes there is something weird and broken and twisted understandable at a superficial glance catastrophic when you search into it more deeply that always insists on control we want to be our own Masters and God gives us what we want, and the precious, powerful reign of heaven withdraws. And so we live in a broken and divided world. We're like fish, flopping and gasping in little pools of whatever meaning and purpose and vitality that we can manufacture for ourselves, but which are actually far too small for us. We're built for bigger, for better things. We weren't built to love or live for anything other than God. But here's the point, you see, the prophets saw a day, they they reached and groped and longed and yearned for a day when God will plant a tree on a high mountain, right up there into the heavens, when he'll build a stairwell, when he'll construct a wonderful bridge that will once again unite heaven and earth and where everything will flourish and find a home of peace and joy and purpose. It will be, you see what Jesus is saying? It will be the greatest of all shrubs. It will put forth large branches. It will provide home and shade. Think of the shade in about an hour. Shade. The shade and the home that we're all built for. Everything ultimately in our lives falls apart. But the kingdom of God is the reintroduction of the presence of God to give us that home. That we also desperately want, where there is no longer any death, or disease, or disaster, and everything is fulfilled and complete. And Jesus says, "I'm bringing in that." That's the business I'm in. Now, notice uh, two cru- critical things about this kingdom reality, uh, both of which will sort of do that which we we don't find so easy to have done to us, which is to put us in second place. The first thing is that the kingdom is not just about you, it's about the world. It's absolutely true that Jesus lived and died and rose again to forgive your sins and to make you right with God and to give you eternal life. That's true. He came into this world to save sinners. But that is means, not ends. The end is the kingdom of God, large and full of shade, a home, a truly safe space. The kingdom of God lived out in concrete earthly forms of flourishing of which we can get glimpses, foreshadowings now, health and housing and art and community and love. That's why God saves us. That's why God forgives us. That's why God destines us for glory, so that we'll join him in his kingdom project. And so we desperately want to see more and more people come into a restored and right relationship with God. And at the same time, we serve the poor and we welcome the marginal and the refugee and we teach people English and we rescue modern slaves and we feed and educate people as just little shafts of kingdom light into dark places. These are not either ors. They're both ands. Or perhaps better, they're because and therefores. Since it's not just about you. It's about the whole world. And the second thing is that this kingdom is not about you, it's about God. It's called a kingdom for a reason, namely that he's the king. We we live and serve and work in the kingdom, not primarily because it's where our needs are met, although that's true, but because it's his due, because he is the king. As the psalmist puts it, it is he that made us, not we ourselves. In other words, you don't fit the king and his kingdom into your life It's the other way around. You fit your life into him and his kingdom purposes and character. You bow before your king, knowing that he is your life. You offer your sword hilt towards him, blade towards you. Utter vulnerability and trust. Because what it is to enter his kingdom is to give up control. To give up control of your sex life, to give up control of your money, to give up control of your priorities and values and your habits and your concerns, who you talk to and who you welcome and who you engage with and how you do. You give up control. You're not yours anymore. You lose your life for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. But that's the only way you get the beauty of his presence and his promise. It's the only way you get the home and the shade, the peace of the kingdom. You give up your life because it's the only way to gain your life. Which leads into the the second point the basis of the kingdom. So, Jesus doesn't just paint the picture of this, this beautiful shade tree, picking up on that whole story. He also teaches us of its basis. It's embedded in the logic of the parable, perhaps the thing that we like most about it. You see, it's from the, the smallest. Literally, uh, in the original language, it's the micro-seed. It's the, it's the micro-seed that the greatest of all the trees grows. And, and it's not accidental or peripheral. Uh, you can see that because Jesus says much the same thing in just an earlier paragraph a couple of verses prior. See, here is the basis of the kingdom. The measure you give will be the measure you get and still more will be given to you. Uh, Literally, Jesus says, the measure you measured with will be measured to you. In other words, what he's saying is that the one who gives will have more and more and more to give. Totally counterintuitively. The one who grasps and grabs and, and demands and insists Will simply have greater and greater emptiness. The basis of the kingdom is this utterly radical principle of grace. You see, in the kingdom of God, which is the destiny of this world, smallness is the way to greatness. Giving is the way to fullness. Grasping is the way to emptiness. The way to be rich is to be generous. The way to be horribly poor so that all money will do is rot your soul, is to be stingy. The way to be gloriously free is to serve people, to put yourself and your time and your capacity actually at the disposal of other people. The way to be enslaved and constricted is to be hemmed uh, and hemmed in is to be independent and unfettered by obligations. In the kingdom, the way to have influence is to humble yourself. The way to make sure you'll never have any greatness of soul is to push yourself forward and demand your rights and your recognition. In relationships, if you're basically there to have your affirmation needs met, then you'll be terribly lonely. But if you're self-forgetful because you're more interested in others, then you'll be wonderfully surrounded by those who love and care for you. In the kingdom, the way to find yourself is to be a genuine peace, uh, sorry, and to be a genuine peace with who you are and how life is working out for you. It's to lose yourself in the glorious cause of Christ and his kingdom. And the way to lose yourself, to actually come adrift from who you are and what you're meant to be, to be lost and fretting and anxious, is to endlessly assert and affirm yourself. But you can't work the system, just by the way. Uh, this is not an equation to be pumped. You can't fake the logic of grace in order to milk it. Uh, C.S. Lewis put it beautifully uh, right at the end of his book, Mere Christianity. Uh, quote, the prince. This principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death. Death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day. Death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you'll find eternal life. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Think about that. That is such a a brilliant way to capture what Jesus says here, isn't it? Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin and decay. But look for Christ and you'll find him With him, everything else thrown in. Uh, This is the world turned upside down, isn't it? Or better, actually, it's the world turned right way up because this is the way it was for the ones for whom the world was created. You see, who is the the smallest, the, the micro of all seeds on the earth? Jesus himself is. The Lord of the universe became utterly small, a single cell who was born into poverty and hounded out of his country, hated by his own people. He became the great tree by dying on a tree. He brought infinite wealth to others, inheritors of the earth by becoming utterly poor himself. He brought glorious power to others by becoming utterly helpless himself. He brought righteousness to others by coming under horrendous judgment himself. He brought life to others by taking death into himself. And so it's as you know this one, this seed, as you see him, as you feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving, as you receive and drink from him, this king of the cross, You'll be so filled with joy and confidence and clarity and purpose that you can live the kingdom life, serving this kingdom's king. And the promise of Jesus is that the kingdom will grow. It will grow in us, enlarging our hearts, And deepening us in peace and poise in a frantic world and it will grow through us as we live our lives in his service. And it will grow even in and through us. Tiny little mustard seed that you might feel yourself to be. Tiny little mustard seed that our church is. Actually, it's the only way the kingdom ever grows. Through mustard seed seed-sized capacity because it's only then that it's God's power on display not ours now the church is not the same as the kingdom that would be a dreadful mistake to confuse those two things but at the same time nor is the church separate from the kingdom it's to reflect and enact and bear witness to the kingdom in its life filled with kingdom grace And and that will take form in all the ordinary, extraordinary ways that it does every year in our life. We'll give our hearts to God as he speaks to us through his word. and We live in the rhythm of grace and repentance and grace and repentance, prayer and rejoicing. We'll bear witness to Christ in a world where it's less and less comfortable and easy to be a Christian because our loyalty to him is far greater than our worry about what others think. We'll pay attention to each other and respond to need and pain and sadness with time and hospitality and tears. We'll be open with one another and break down the ways in which the culture encourages us to posture and pretend. We'll show up at church and at fellowship group and at meetings when we feel like it and are on top of the world and when we don't and aren't because just being there, being present, in a culture that makes being absent so normal, really matters. But it will also take particular form for us this year as well. Because the kingdom basis of grace is always centrally concerned with the the other, the outsider, the marginal, to, to share with them our gospel shade that they so desperately need. The outreach temperature of a church is always a crucial measure of its health. And so one of the key initiatives this year is to raise the temperature of our outreach. On Wednesday this coming week, Angus Courtney with his wife Alison and toddler Jasper arrived back in Australia after studying for three years in the US. Uh, Angus will join the staff team full time and half his role is to bring even greater energy and creativity and focus to our efforts in outreach. And both by equipping us in our personal witness as well as the programs and events we run as a community. And in God's mustard seed goodness, that will lead to growth, perhaps even more growth than 2018. As a church, last year we grew by about 20%, right across the congregations. And to keep growing from from mustard seed to glorious branch on the shade tree, we're also going to do three things. The first is to invest in the development and nurture of leaders more and more, moving from need to opportunity, from a posture that is more reactive to one that's far more proactive. Our leadership development program kicks off tomorrow night. Two pioneers in our newly launched apprenticeship program start on Tuesday in youth ministry and Mandarin speaking ministry. Every leader in the life of the church will have a clear role description and a go-to person who'll meet with them multiple times a year for resourcing and feedback and coaching. There is so much talent and giftedness and wisdom and capacity that is ready to burst out of its seed pod in this church to bring to new life leaves of vitality and shadiness. Releasing that giftedness and getting it into the game as was intended for it by God is more necessary now than ever. So that's the first thing that undergirds this growth, leadership development. The second thing is that we're going to open a new twig on our branch. Am I pushing this too far already? I want you to work with me here. Uh, Ten years ago, we closed the congregation at St. Oswald's Haberfield when it became clear that it wasn't able to sustain its life. We learned vital lessons from that. And the other half of Angus Courtney's role is to put those lessons into practice And lead a morning congregation plant to St. Oswald's Uh, with a launch team made up of people drawn I hope from every one of the congregations of CCIW as well as other friends uh, and people from our networks and local Haberfield uh, residents. Uh, You'll hear more about that as the year progresses and from Angus and Ali a little bit in a video soon. And the third thing that undergirds this growth, leadership development, uh, a new twig Uh, The third thing is the St Albans Master Plan. It is gloriously obvious that the facilities here are not any longer fit for purpose for the growing congregations of St Albans. Uh, Just kids' safety, for example. Uh, Generations before us have talked about it for years. We have talked about it for years. And this year is the time to act on it. And Matt's going to say more about that in a moment as well. Underneath these uh, initiatives, uh, particular initiatives, I think is is actually a deeper change that's taking place in our life. Since CCIW formed in 2008, we've always said that we are one church, many congregations. And I think it would be true to say that the many congregations side of that has been more prominent in our life and ministry than the one church. And, And that has been exactly right for the stage of growth that we're at. It seems to me that that's shifting now, this year actually, right now. Increasingly, you will see and serve alongside and pray with and for more people and more staff than just your own congregation and site. And that has its own joys, that has its own challenges, and it too is exactly right for the stage of growth that we're now in. Because you see, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. And yet when it is sown, really sown in our hearts and lives. And nurtured by the spirit and by one another. It grows up. And it grows and it grows and it grows. And it becomes the greatest of all the shrubs And it puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade.